0: How are you today? Would you look at your neighbor and say, "I'm glad you're here this day." We're talking about how to handle tough times. A few years ago, a well-known pastor wrote a book: "Tough Times Never Last, but Tough People Do." Anybody ever had any tough times? Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary and Jesus and how that as we come at this time of year to celebrate what is the greatest season for all of us, that the statistics tell us that this is one of the most depressing times of the year. More people commit suicide from Thanksgiving until Christmas than do the 11 prior months combined. People face all kinds of situations, and because of that, a lot of times we don't know how to handle the tough times. And so as we've looked at this, we've, we've begin to see some things of how that these men and women, uh, years and years before we ever showed up on the scene, begin to handle tough times. And, and today we want to continue in that vein. So would you take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke, the second chapter. And I want to read to you a few verses of Scripture. It's, I, I mean, you have to read this passage on this Sunday. You know, it's just the the Sunday I have to wear a suit and the Sunday (laughs) that I need to read this scripture. Luke, the second chapter, beginning in verse 1, says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census was first taken, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there that the days were completed for her to be delivered. Verse 7 is that passage that we all have heard and known and hopefully loved for years. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As you read that passage of Scripture, there, there are so many emotions that can become attached to that as you begin to look at that. One of the aspects there as you, as you see that is that here comes this mother and father and and uh, they're traveling in the last part of her uh nine months being ready to deliver this child and they they show up in a city and and all the hotel rooms are booked, and everybody is full and running over and they say, "Well, you know, the only place we've got for you is we've got a stable out back that you can go back there and and, and sometime in the midnight hours and the wee hours of the morning uh this little young lady goes in to travail and goes in uh, to the process of bringing forth a birth and and I mean if, if you were to look at that and think about that I mean how horrible a place to be born I mean there's, there's none of us that would want our child to be born in a stable there's nobody here, we, we read that passage, it said, and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. We say, oh, isn't that nice, that swaddling clothes. And, and I, I thought about that one day, and I looked it up. Swaddling clothes, basically, the, to our best description, is burlap. Ever felt burlap? It's not really something you want to wrap a newborn baby in. And so here comes Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am, and he's born into obscurity. He's born into a place that is, is forgotten. And that's what I want to talk to us about today is there are those moments in your life in handling tough times that it just feels like everybody has forgotten you. Ever been there? Maybe you're a young mom today and between wiping nose and the other end and trying to clean the house and doing all the things that you have to do to keep body and soul together, there are those moments that you just say, does anybody know that I'm even still alive? Maybe you're a business person today and the last few years have been a little tough because the economy's been so messed up and, and there's been nobody to come alongside of you just to stand with you and, and to give you, you know, an encouraging word and, and you just feel like, man, I, it's, it's like I'm forgotten out here. I'm, I'm drowning and there's nobody around. See, what's interesting about this is when you begin to read the story of Jesus here, there's, there's all this acclamation. Angels show up and, and, and all kind of things take place. Uh, and and it's, you would say, man, this, this, is going, I mean, this is going to be the greatest story ever. A year after his birth or so, you know, three wise men show up and just load him down with gifts, frankincense and myrrh and gold. And then he goes into Egypt. He goes into the desert. And from the time of his birth until he enters into his ministry, 30 years, we really only hear from him one time. And that's when he's 12 years old. We kind of get a quick glimpse of him, and then he's gone again. I mean, I mean can you imagine growing up in Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth, we, we use that. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we use terms, and because we've heard it so long, it becomes kind of fuzzy and good. Uh, Nazareth was... Uh, I, I don't know N- Nazareth was kind of like growing up in finger. <laughs> y'all ever heard of finger? Kind of like growing up in uh frog jump. Anybody know where frog jump is? Kind of like growing up in Bucksnort. would not you just like to where are you from? I'm from Bucksnort i I mean it was it was just really I mean it really was sweet lips ever. Where do you live? Well, I live in lives. Well, I wasn't asking how you were. Where do you live? Anyway, the, the, but, but Nazareth, that's, that's the kind of place that it was. It was just, you, you didn't, you know, it, it wasn't the center of commerce for that area. You, you didn't go to, you know, if, if you were looking for the fine stores and shops, you didn't go to Nazareth to find them. If, if, if you were looking for the seat of education and, and, and you wanted to gain great knowledge, Nazareth wasn't where you went. I mean, if you lived in Nazareth, it was just, well, it was just kind of off the beaten path it wasn't a place that you would I mean it, it's kind of like some of where some of you live you just wouldn't really choose to live there unless you just had to and and yet Jesus is in this place that it's a small town it's a village setting um and I wonder if there were those moments. I'll think differently. I understand that. My brain goes places most of yours don't, and you're glad. But uh, I wonder at times if if Jesus didn't just go, do they know who I am? Do they get it? I, I mean, the Scripture says that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in Jesus. I mean, all that God was was in Jesus, and it didn't just come on him at 30 years of age when a dove descended from heaven and all the great things. The the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and impregnated her. And from the moment of her impregnation until the birth of Jesus, this thing which is being born of her is of the Holy Spirit. And the moment that Jesus took his first breath, he was all God. God and all man and i just i just wonder at times even with his parents i mean i, I think jesus struggled with those teenage years you ever raised a teenager they're wonderful if you can get them through their teenage years without somebody dying I mean, I, I think the, the Bible says it this way. The Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. I mean, I mean, Jesus was tempted to go to his room and slam his door when his dad or mom told him to do something he didn't like, yet without sin. I, I mean, J- Jesus is, is in those moments of experiencing seeming obscurity why why am i here why am i doing this lord i've come and and i have given myself to the will of the father and i am here but can i get this show started ever felt that way ever felt like man is is my ministry ever going to get started is is my business ever going to take off is is uh, you know is anybody ever going to find me attractive and marry me it's kind of forgotten. How many of you remember that, you know, in school, especially if you went in the old school way where you had first through the eighth grade and then you went from the eighth grade into high school, that, that eighth grade year, man, was the year. Because you ruled Everybody. You 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 were the top. If you were an athlete, you were the top athlete. You played every every inning, or you played every quarter. I mean, you were out there on the floor. And then all of a sudden, that eighth grade year was over, and now you became a freshman, and you were nobody. (laughs) Coach looked at you and said, "You'll be sitting on the bench this whole year." And you go, "Wait a minute! I I was the star. I was the running back. I was the uh, the you know the best three point shooter we had." And the coach says, "You're going to sit on the." sidelines you're going away and and in that moment you begin to understand that that it doesn't matter how much mom and daddy think you're the most wonderful thing ever you know some of you have come from really wonderful homes that your mom and dad just doted on you be thankful for that and they just told you you were the greatest and the best and the most wonderful and then you went and found out that somebody else didn't think that you know, about the first day you show up at the job, you find out that that boss is not really concerned about what your mama thinks about you. It's kind of like, sit down and shut up and do what I tell you. And, and so you, you begin to deal with those things in life, and as life continues, there are those moments, and I don't care who you are and what you've gone through, there are those moments in your life where you feel like you've been set aside in the obscurity and you're forgotten. And it's like, come on, God, what's happening here? And I I believe that Jesus experienced those moments. I believe that he went through those things, and and, and yet in those moments, I believe that Jesus learned how to be obedient, and he learned what to do so that he would move into everything that he ought to be. And so I want you to stay in that second chapter there, but I want us to, to jump down a few verses. Would you look at the 41st verse today? This is the setting where Jesus with his mom and dad go to Jerusalem, and and it's the whole encounter there. And and we're going to look at four things in this passage that I believe shows us how Jesus lived in that forgotten, obscure moment of his life. That if you and I will apply those same things to our lives, that we can find the key to move into everything that God has for us. We all know that the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry totally changed the history of the world. What we forget is, is that there are 30 years of obscurity where he's on the backside of nowhere, seemingly spinning his wheels. Have you ever felt like you were spinning your wheels? You ever felt like you were just going through the motion? I think Jesus felt that. Look look in verse 41 and 42. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12, when Jesus was 12, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the Feast. If I really want to make it through these forgotten moments, this, this moment of obscurity that's in my life, the first thing that I've got to do is I've got to be faithful even in that moment. The, the Bible says that, that they went up to Jerusalem every year. Every year, uh, Joseph and Mary are just faithful to do what God's told them to do. For generations, Jewish people who live in the area are going to make it into Jerusalem. In fact, to this day, if you are around Jewish people at certain feasts, they they can be anywhere in the world, and here's what they will say. They will say, next year in Jerusalem. Because their hope and their plan and their ideal is, is that next year we're going to celebrate in Jerusalem. And at 12 years of age, Jesus goes, Why at 12? Well, because at this point, Jesus is bar mitzvah. This, at this point, Jesus becomes a man in the sight of his community. And, and so the, there's this customary thing that's taking place. I, I want to tell you something uh, about custom. Custom is not bad. We have a tendency to want to, to get rid of anything that's a custom or a tradition, tradition's not bad. Evidently, it is to you. Tra- tradition, you know. Uh, sometimes you need to find out why there is a tradition before you mess it up. You know why? Why do you do that? Now, there are some traditions that you probably ought to get rid of. I, I read a story years ago that said. Uh, that That one day this little girl was in the, the kitchen with her mom, and her mom was getting ready to fix a big dinner for maybe Christmas time, and said she had this ham, and this ham was laying out on, on the on the table and and said the mom took and she cut the end of it off, and she put it in the pan and and um, the little girl said, "Mom, why, why did you cut the end of that off?" And she said, "I don't know, my mom always cut it off." So mom gets on the phone, and she calls grandma and she says. Why did you cut the end off the ham? She, and grandma says, I don't know. It's what my mom always did. So, great grandma's still alive. She's in her late 80s. They call great grandma and say, Great grandma, why do we cut the end off the ham? She said, Oh, darling, that's because my pan was too short. <laughs> hey, some of you. <laughs> need to understand that tradition for tradition's sake is not good. But if it has meaning as this did in that day, that tradition was important. And, and, and so they're faithful to that. And, and Jesus now becomes a student of the Torah, becomes a student of the law of God. And, and, and he's going, even though he is fully God, he's still fully man. And so, uh, so the Word of God lets us know that, that he's just faithful in it. Listen, let me tell you something about faithfulness. If you're faithful in the little things, God will make you ruler over much. See, I, I can remember in the, the very beginning of this church, there were people who were just faithful. There were people who set up chairs week in and week out. There were people who came in early to the Holiday Inn, made sure it was clean, and set everything, put everything together. And you know what? When that was happening, we, we might have 35 people, we might have 50 people at times. I, I still remember to this day, I don't remember anybody during that season that called me and said, Pastor, I've heard about what you're doing down there, and I've got a real strong word for your church, and I want to come and minister that word. Or, or, or maybe they, you know, they're, they're a ministry that travels and say, you know, we, we, were, we heard about your church, and we just feel God sent us there. Never had that. But now, I get calls all the time. Pastor, we were just in deep prayer and fasting, and the Lord showed up in a cloud and said love and truth church jackson you shall go there and when i peel away all the fluff i found out that they heard that we've got a big church and they want to come and minister in a big church and i just go wait a minute where were you nine years ago when i had 40 and 50. see the word of god says if you're faithful in the little things Joseph and Mary are faithful in the little things. Jesus is faithful in the little things. And in his faithfulness, then God is able to bring him to that point that he makes him ruler over much. Look look in verse 49, if you would. Verse 49 and 50 said, And he said to them, now now this is after the encounter. Jesus, let let me set the story up if you don't know it well. Uh, Jesus goes to the temple with his mom and dad, and and they spend a few days there during the feast. And and then Jesus kind of disappears and his mom and dad start home and they think he's with some of the relatives and some of the family and they, they get down the road and all of a sudden it's nighttime, and they go where's Jesus and they go I don't know thought he was with you know Aunt Susie or you know Uncle Bob or whoever and they said no he's not they can't find him and so three days later they show up at the temple and, and, and they start they, you know what, where, where have you been what are you doing in verse 49 and 50 Jesus answered them and he said to them this is Jesus speaking why did you seek me did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. The second thing that you've got to have in those moments of obscurity of your life and forgottenness is that you've got to be diligent. And you say, well, Pastor, what's the difference in faithfulness and diligence? It's kind of like the, the Apostle James writing. James said, uh, he said, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith what by my works did he not say that and and so diligence is just doing the works diligence is just doing the things that you ought to be doing see I you and I need to understand that we need to be about our father's business and you look up here and you say well that's easy for you to say because you're paid to be spiritual and I am I'm you know I'm one of the few people in the world that gets paid to be spiritual But here's the interesting thing. The Word of God says that we need to be ready to give an answer to every man who asks of us of the hope that lies within us. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around Christians that you just really wish weren't? Do I need to break that down for you? Have you ever gone to a restaurant and been so embarrassed by Christians that you wanted to crawl under the table and slip out the door i mean i have gone i've gone to restaurants and watched christians i've watched ministers treat waiters and waitresses like the scum of the earth get up and leave a 50 cent tip and a track let me tell you if you're going to leave a track leave a 20 percent tip amen Why? Because the Word of God says that you need to be ready to give an answer to every man who asks of the hope that lies within you. In other words, there needs to be something about our lives, that we are living in the diligent pursuit of the King of kings and the Lord of lords every day in our life, that people look at our life, and there is so much hope, there is so much anointing, there is so much power in our lives, even when we are in the forgotten moments, that people say, I don't know how you can do what you're doing but I want some of what you have. Ever been around Christians like that? I have. I know believers who I look at them and they go through good times and they go through bad times and I go, they're my heroes. They're, they're the kind of person I want to be like. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be like all the media heroes. I want to be like them. Why? Because they've understood the diligence. Jesus is just diligent. He said, I have got to be about my father's business. Verse 51, if you look there, it says this, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. The third thing in these moments that you need in your life is that you need to be obedient. Wow. Wow says he was subject to them. Do you realize he's the king of kings? I mean, don't you think that there were moments that Jesus wanted to look at his, his earthly mother and father and say, do you know who I am? Now, you, you, you kind of look at that and say, oh, no. he I, I, Again, there, remember, he is all man and all God. So there's this, there's this dichotomy there that's at work. I think that there are moments he just wants to look look at the whole village and go, do you know with one word I can wipe you out? You've talked about my illegitimacy every day of my life. Do you know who I am? And yet the Word of God says he was subject. In other words, he was obedient. There are times in your life that obedience is better than anything else that you can do. Just doing what you're called to, staying under the covering that you have been given in your life. Now, now let me help you for a minute. Everybody needs a covering in their life. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? You need somebody who is in authority over you. And you need to be obedient to that authority. And you may not always like it. Joseph and Mary are his earthly covering. They are in authority over him. And the Scripture says that Jesus, get this, the Son of God is obedient to an earthly mother and an earthly father have people all the time, none of you, because you're here. I'm not going to stay at that church. They're trying to tell me what to do. And they used to say, no, we're not, until I got to reading the Word. And then I thought, yes, I am. I'm trying to tell you how to live so you can escape hell. So you can go to heaven. So, Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're telling you what to do. Bless God, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Ever had your kids again, those wonderful years sometimes? Look at you with gritted teeth and go, I'll be glad when I get out of this house. Ain't nobody going to be telling me what to do. And I just love that. I just want to pack them their bag and just say, go ahead, darling. There's a door. Because from this moment on, as soon as you walk out the door, everybody is going to be telling you what to do. They're going to tell you when to come to work and when to leave. They're going to tell you how to act. They're going to tell you what to wear. They're going to tell you to say, hello, this is McDonald's. Glad you're here. Can I flip your burger for you? I mean, <laughs> they're going to lay it out. So, it, you know, it's, it's much easier for us. And, and a lot of times, you know, the Bible talks about that there are moments in, in church discipline that you turn people over to Satan. And I read that scripture and I get nervous. But the scripture says that you do that for their salvation. If they won't be under the authority and obedience to what God has in the house, then you just let the enemy have them for a while and that will get their attention. Thank the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and said, Okay, restore, bring them back, you know, get them in get the place. Jesus is obedient even in the hidden time, in the forgotten time. Let me, let me give you the fourth and final one. Look in verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men wisdom stature and favor with God and men fourth thing that you've got to do in that this moment of hiddenness and forgottenness is that you just got to be patient you ever prayed for patience come on ever prayed for patience let me help you don't Years ago, I used to say, I need to be more patient. And so people started to come to me when I first started pastoring years ago. People come to me and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you to be patient. And I thought that was really good. Until I read the scripture that said, Tribulation worketh patience. I said, I'm okay. (laughs) I'm all right. Don't need any tribulation, okay? But you've got to come to that place in your life where... You just understand that even though nobody is handing you an Oscar, nobody is sending you on a trip to the Bahamas because you're the greatest, nobody is writing your name in lights across the sky of the city, that you're still called of God. Jesus, I don't believe Jesus ever once doubted his calling. He, he never, I, I don't think he ever said, Well, am I, am I really called to do this? Should I? Re-? No, th- th- he knew who he was. And for 30 years, he lives in a forgotten place. I mean, c- can you imagine? I mean, I, I think there were days he said, Where are the angels? I mean, they showed up when I was a baby. Why don't they just come and, you know, fly around Nazareth and say some stuff? That'd be pretty cool. Your, mind, your mind's way too boring. I mean, I, you know, I just think that's pretty neat. You got, I don't know, 10,000 of them. That'd be, that'd be a pretty good number. 10,000 angels just show up, blanket Jackson, call your name, and say they're the greatest. anybody I mean any takers on that I mean I think that'd be pretty cool man did you hear I mean channel 7 caught it and Jackson's son wrote it it got blogged it got twitted with all the twits I mean it, it just got out there 10,000 angels showed up and said so and so's the greatest 30 years, no angels, except just at the front end of this thing. Nobody's singing. Nobody's declaring great stuff. Kings came one time, left some gifts and took off, never came back. Left you just kind of hanging out. What do you do? What do you do in that marriage where you feel forgotten? What do you do in that job that's going nowhere? What do you do in that situation where it seems like even your best friend has forgotten all about you? You just stay faithful and do what you're called to do. Because there's coming a day in, in the third chapter, and you read it after a while when you get home the third chapter tells us that when John was baptizing one day, Jesus showed up. John baptizes Jesus and the Bible says and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice from heaven spoke and said you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the next sentence says this, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age now watch and I'm done 30 years nothing three and a half years blew everybody's mind you say pastor I'm 30 years old I'm 40 I'm 50 I'm 60 I might even be 70 I I I," listen it just takes God anointing where you are And in three and a half years, you can make so much difference that history will be changed because of what's happened. You know, some of you are here today, and, and maybe you're not even walking with the Lord at this point, and you, you may be in, in one of those age groups I just talked about. Do you know what could happen to you on this day? If you would commit your life to Jesus Christ today, Do you know what he could do with you just in the next few weeks and months and years? That your life could make such a difference? You can't get bitter in the forgotten moments. Because if you do, then you miss out on your destiny. Jesus hung in there. 30 years, the voice speaks from heaven, and the next three and a half years, are the most exciting moments that have ever happened in history. I'm closing. Get it. 2010, you can't do anything with it. It's over. The great things and the failures. I think that's why God gives us new years. Some of y'all have been praying, Lord, I'll be glad when this new year gets here. Right? That's why God gives you new years. 2011 is right ahead of you. How committed are you going to be to living up to what God has for your life, even in the tough times? Because it's the tough times that make you what God wants you to be. Ever heard the term, no pain, no gain? Sometime, obscurity and forgottenness is the pain. But if you come through that, the gain is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that takes you in the places you never thought you could go.